Welcome to the RSV podcast. This parsha has told us Tavshin Pei Gimel. This week's podcast is sponsored the Zechon Ishmas Aaron Michel Ben Chaim Meir, Aaron Frankel Alva Shalom by his loving family. Mr. Frankel did so much for Toronto, the schools, the shuls, the learning, and he really, almost like nobody else, brought all parts of the community together. Yehei Zechrei Baruch, let us share Simchas. Now the Parsha. We're a minority, and we've been that way for a long time, and we've been surrounded by a non-Jewish majority for a long, long time. And because of that, on some level, we don't realize it, but on some level we've sometimes absorbed some ideas from anti-Semitic theologies. And one example would be our Parsha. In the back of people's minds, in the corners of their hearts, sometimes when they look at the story about the brachos, about Yaakov, Avinu, taking the brachos that were rightfully his, he, he had a right to these blessings. Some people viewed it as somewhat Machiavellian, as, as not 1,000% correct. But if you look carefully at the story, you'll realize that this really wasn't a theft at all. This was something very moral, and Yaakov was simply reclaiming something that was rightfully his. And it's there in so many ways, it's there at, at so many forms. Let's look at the last Pasuk of Perik Chavhei. That's the Perik that precedes the discussion about taking the brachas. And that describes Esav, who Esav had become. And what does the Pasuk tell us? It tells us, he Esav ben Abraham Shana, he was 40 years old, and he married women. And then the Pasuk tells you, what were these wives like? Pasuk tells you clearly, They embittered their parents-in-law. They were terrible daughters-in-law. So that's the end of Perik Chavhei. The next Perik, Perik Chaf Aleph, talks about the brachos, about how Yitzchak wanted to give them to Esav, and Yaakov eventually, under his mother's guidance, took them, but that's the next Perik. Now, when we look at Perik Chavav and we look at the brachos, we really don't think much about Perik Chaf Hay. There's a story buried at the bottom of Perik Chaf Hay, something nondescript, something unnoticed, about, about Esav's wives being terrible women, but we don't really notice that at all. But that's because we have the chapter division that we have. The chapter division that we have is not Jewish, that actually is Christian. It goes back to the Bishop of Canterbury, back to the 13th century. But it's not something Jewish, it's not something that we did, or that we acknowledge, or that we attach any importance to. And our chapter division is very, very different. Our chapter division takes this discussion about Esau's terrible wives, who embittered their parents-in-law's lives, and makes it a peric, a chapter unto itself. Which means you have a chapter, that chapter ends, then you have a very short chapter that really serves as a header, as a highlighting to the following chapter. What is the short chapter? That's the chapter that talks about Esau's wives, about how bad they were, about how they embittered their in-laws' lives, and then we move on to the chapter that talks about Yaakov going ahead and taking the brachos that Yitzchak had wanted to give to Esav. What is the Torah trying to tell us? That Esav's wives are terrible people, and Esav had a terrible home because a wife creates the home. And he couldn't have been the person who gets the brachos. Sure, Yitzchak wanted to give them to him, but that really wouldn't have worked long term. And Rivka's idea and Yaakov's idea of usurping those brachas, and as we'll soon see, something that Yitzchak eventually agreed to made perfect sense, giving the reality of who Esav was. But it's not just this. It's so much else. Go a little bit further. 
When we go a little bit further, we'll go ahead and we'll see that Yitzchak, of course, wants to give the brachas to Esav. But even when he wants to give those brachas to Esav, he realizes those brachas really belong to Yaakov. Now, why did they belong to Yaakov? Yaakov was the younger son, Esav was the older son. Well, let's not forget a story at the beginning of the Parsha. And what's the story at the beginning of the Parsha? That's the story about how Esav sold his Pchorah, his firstborn rights, his firstborn identity to Yaakov. Now, some people look at that sale as being something cavalier and something not serious. Hard to say that. The Torah documents that and highlights that. And it's true, the sale took place for a pot of beans. But if you check the Rishayin, the Paneach Raza, so many others, they go ahead and tell you, it wasn't just a pot of beans. It was a legitimate sale, a proper sale. And you had a meal to consecrate that sale. So Esav sold his Bechorah, and with it you would assume the right to the bracha that comes with the Bechorah, to Yaakov. And he did it in good conscience, he did it in good faith, he did it legitimately. And everyone knew about this. How did everyone know about this? Pasuk tells you. Pasuk tells you there was this meal, the celebratory meal, and because of this meal where people ate beans and they were served beans, Karashmo, everyone went ahead and called Esav Edom. They went ahead and called him Edom. Why did they call him Edom? Because of the meal. Well, clearly they knew about the meal, which means clearly they knew about the sale. Well, if everyone knows about this, wouldn't it make sense to say that Yitzchak would know about this? Of course Yitzchak and Rivka knew about this. Which means Yitzchak really realized that Yaakov was the Bechor. And so there's a lot happening here. The Torah goes ahead and betray, tells us that Esav couldn't have been the leader. He had these terrible wives who established a terrible home. And that's the header that heads the whole discussion about Kenevis Abrachas. Separate Peruk, small Peruk, highlighting the fact that Esav had a terrible home, had terrible wives who were terrible daughters-in-law, which in a certain sense would have made him a bad son. You can't be a good son when your wives embitter your parents' lives. And so this is introduced, this is clear, this is significant. On top of that, the beginning of the parsha tells us that Esav isn't really the Bechor anymore. He sold the Bechor. And Yitzchak knows this. Absolutely, Yitzchak knows this. And Yitzchak, because he knows this, is somewhat reluctant to give the Bechor to Esav. He's somewhat reluctant to give the Bracha to Esav. And how do we know about that reluctance? So there's a wonderful Bechor Shar. And what does the Bechor Shar say? He says that Yitzchak, before he goes ahead and gives the bracha to Esav, asks Esav, go ahead and prepare a meal for me. Lo yadati, o Mosi. I don't know when I'm going to die. Aseli matamim. Go ahead and prepare a wonderful meal. And then I will go ahead and give you the bracha. And you ask yourself, why is food so important? Why is a meal so important? But then you realize Yitzchak here is referring back to an incident that happened before. And what was the incident that happened before? Esav, when he sold the Bechorah and with it the Bracha to Yaakov, what does he tell Yaakov? Hini anochi holech lamus, I'm going to die, same language. Give me food, halitainina, go ahead and give me food. Bechorah says, Yitzchak is trying to jog Esav's memory. And he's trying to remind him, Esav, you sold your Bechorah, you sold your Bechorah for food. I'm bringing this up now. And what could we go ahead and say? An idea that we can develop is, is that Yitzchak is fully cognizant of what's happening. He's Yitzchak Avinu. He knows that Esav has bad wives. He knows that Esav isn't living a moral life. He knows that Esav sold the Bechorah. Doesn't really want to give the bracha to Esav. He doesn't really think Esav has a right to it. And he doesn't. 
but at the very same time he's torn. Esav has no support. There's no maternal support. Yitzchak, Rivka is Oheves, Yaakov. Rivka identifies with Yaakov. There's no fraternal connection. There's already tension. Yaakov had bought the Bechorah. It's not a simple thing to buy the Bechorah from your elder brother. Not a simple thing. There's no maternal connection. There's no fraternal connection. Yitzchak very much wants to keep the paternal connection to go ahead and give Esau a base, give him something moral, something to hold on to, something to believe in, something to connect to. This is what Yitzchak wants to do. And Yitzchak does it. He'll go ahead and give Esau the bracha. But he doesn't want to, because he knows it's really Yaakov. So he begs Esav, before he gives him the bracha, he says, Esav, remember, I know and you know you're not entitled to this bracha. You need my support, I'm a father. I don't want you lost, I'll give you this. But I don't want to give this you. And so, he refers, he alludes to everything that happened. Go ahead and prepare food, that reminds me and you of Halitainina. Lo yadata yomosi, I don't know when I'm going to die. That reminds me and you of hini anochi holich lamus. Even Yitzchak doesn't really support Esav. Even Yitzchak doesn't want to give the bracha. Even Yitzchak is trying to take the bracha away. But what can he do? Esav has nobody and it's a father. And Yitzchak thinks if I give him some support, at least something will happen here. Esav doesn't take the hint. Esav doesn't listen, he proceeds and he wants the bracha, and so Yitzchak says, I'll give it to you. I'll do what I have to do, so you can have the base that you need. But as soon as tables turn, as soon as Yaakov comes in and takes the bracha, already right away Yitzchak is suspicious. And in that suspicion, there's really reason to assume that Yitzchak is doubting whether it's really Esav. There's so much doubt. There's a dawning realization, Ragachava seems to say, even at the beginning, that Yitzchak knows it isn't really Esav. Yitzchak knows it might be Yaakov. But he's not going to go ahead and, and follow that lead. He's not going to go ahead and rock the boat. He'll accept things the way they are. If it's Yaakov, that's okay. And even later on, when it emerges that it is Yaakov, when Yaakov leaves and Esav comes, and Yitzchak realizes that it was Yaakov who took the bracha, Gam Baruch Yia, Yitzchak is totally comfortable giving the bracha to Yaakov, because he knew that the bracha really belonged to Yaakov. There's so much here saying that Yaakov was right. Yaakov was really the Bechor, he bought the Bechor legitimately. Yitzchak and Rivka knew, and we know that because the Pasuk tells you that everyone knew about this meal. Rivka supported Yaakov, and even Yitzchak, he tries to dissuade Esav, he tells him, I know about the sale. Esav insists Yitzchak can't turn his son away. But as soon as there's a base to support Yaakov, Yitzchak is there. He's suspicious, doesn't make a difference. He gives Yaakov the brach anyway. Afterwards, it's clear that Yaakov stole the brach, Yitzchak supports this. Yaakov did no wrong. And Yaakov had support. And Yaakov did what he had to do. But you know what? Even if Yaakov did what he had to do, he still paid such a heavy price. What price did he pay? Such a heavy price. It's a Yalkut Shemoni, it's a Sifri Dagadata. The Medrash goes ahead and tells us, Tzorka achas tzork esim Yaakov. Yaakov caused Esav to cry out. And you know what happened in turn? What happened in turn is Yaakov's descendants cried. Much, much later in Shushan Abira, when there's the decree from Haman, all of Yaakov's descendants cry out. Yaakov might have been right, and Yaakov was right. Yaakov had no choice. Yaakov did what he had to do.
But even if you're right, even if we're correct, even if what we're doing is moral, if someone else is hurt, it'll come back to us. It'll haunt us. We will have to pay a price. Sometimes we have no choice. Yaakov Avinu had absolutely no choice. Yaakov had to do what he had to do, and in the end he had to pay the price. But sometimes we have a choice. Sometimes we don't have to say something. Sometimes we don't have to go somewhere. Sometimes we don't have to go ahead and, and do bad for bad. Sometimes we can bite our tongue. Sometimes we don't have to do. And we don't have to do. If we don't do, then we won't pay a price. Maybe it's wise to keep that in mind that when we don't have to pay a price, really, we shouldn't pay a price. The only way not to pay the price is not to do. Sometimes maybe it's wise not to do. A message for the Parsha, a message for the week. Until next week, good Shabbos.